Good morning, Mountain Park. Happy Easter to you. Welcome. So glad that you're here. Isn't it great to have DeAndre here and leading worship with us as we celebrate Easter? Woo! He has rose from the bed. Uh, he wasn't feeling well the past few weeks, and we weren't sure if he was going to be able to make Easter. So, so we prayed about it, and we we're thankful that uh, we get to gather here today. Thankful that you are here with us. Thankful that you are uh, checked in with us online. And once again, happy Easter. This is a special year for Easter because we are offering a bonus this year. It's a bonus because we're not just doing the one service here on Sunday morning. Typically, Easter means one Sunday morning, and then we kind of get on with the rest of church life later on. But no, that's not what we're doing this year. This year, we're starting a new series called The Freedom of Jesus, and so it is going to be a four-week journey to look at really the whole Easter story and why did Jesus come and the whole deal. And so for the cost of your admission this morning, you don't just get one week or even two weeks, you get four weeks for the same price. Isn't that awesome? Okay, there you go, there we go. We, we're going to walk this out over the next three weeks, and we would love to have you join with us. As we get started, um, I, I have something to, to tell you, so... Uh, I know what your problem is. <laughs> That's my Robert De Niro face. <laughs> I know what your problem is. Who doesn't love having somebody else tell them, I know what your problem is? Who doesn't love it when somebody comes up and says, you know what your problem is, especially if it's a stranger. If you're brand new with us and and we've never met before. My name's Alan, by the way. And some stranger stands up and says, I know what your problem is. I understand there's resistance to that, but, but uh, that, may not, that may not feel like the greatest way to get started with an Easter message, with an Easter story. But there really is something good about knowing what the problem is. If it's true, if I really do know what your problem is, then there's something good about identifying what the problem is. We can't fix a problem if we haven't identified the problem. We can't answer a question if we don't know what the question is. I remember when I was in ninth grade, and I was in Mr. Zeruel's science class. And periodically, I would, I would zone out in class, just like all of you, just like some of you perhaps here in this room right now, you've zoned out. And so come on back, come on back. And, and so I would zone out in Mr. Zeruel's class and in Daydream, I was in La La Land, and, and I would get brought back into reality. Uh, I remember specifically this one class when Mr. Zeruel was calling my name. That brings you back into reality very quick. Like if I said, John, John, and your name was John, I had you. I had you right there. You hear your name, so I heard my name in Mr. Zeruel's class, Alan, Alan. He said, what's the answer, Alan? Because you could tell that I was drifting, fading. And my best friend in the whole world, Daryl McLeod, was sitting next to me in class. He could tell that I was in trouble because I guess he had been paying attention. And so he, he, he just leaned over towards me and he, and, and, he, and he helped me out. He said, car, Alan, car. Oh, thank you, Daryl. So she looked up at Mr. Zerowell and with boldness I said, car. At which point the whole 
classroom burst into laughter. They exploded, and my friend Daryl was pounding on his desk in delight at the fact that I had just said car. Now, to this day, years, decades later, I don't know what Mr. Zerowell had asked. I don't know what that question was. I just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that car was not an appropriate response to whatever he was saying. We can't answer a question if we don't know what the question is. We can't fix a problem if we haven't identified what the problem is. It is bad news to find out that you're sick, that there's something wrong with your body. But it's good news to at least find out where the problem is. Is it a respiratory issue? Is is it a cardio issue? It's a good thing to find out where the problem is. It moves us towards solving the problem. It's a bad thing if your old car won't start. But it's a good thing to determine if it's the distributor versus the carburetor. It's a bad thing that there is a problem with you and with me, but it's good news when we can at least identify what that problem is. See, you and I, we have a problem. There is a problem in the world around us, and maybe some of you are asking questions here this past year. It's been a rough year, and maybe some of you are asking questions or have been asking questions recently in terms of what, what, what's going on? What's going on in the world around us? We're going to play a video here. The band had recorded a song uh, uh, this week. It's somebody else's song, but, but they did a version of it uh, here this week. And, and um, it's, it's not an Easter song. Let me just tell you, it's, it's not. That's, that's why we're doing a video of it. It's just kind of a little different. It's not an Easter song, but it is a song about Jesus. And it is a very honest song. It's a song where the songwriter is, I mean, literally the first line in the song is, Jesus, Jesus, can you tell me what's wrong with the world and the people in it? What's going on? What's happening here? And I really like the honesty of the song. It's someone saying, okay, Jesus, apparently you're important. You're special. You're, you're, and if you're true, if you're real, then what really do you have to offer in terms of the problem going on around me? It's an honest song, and perhaps you can relate to some of the questions in this song. Check it out. Jesus, Jesus, could you tell me what the problem is with the world and all the people in it? Because I've been hearing stories about the end of the world, but I'm in love with a girl and I don't want to leave her. And the television screams such hideous things they're talking about. The war on the radio They say the whole thing's gonna blow We'll be all left alone No, we'll be dead and we won't know what hit us Jesus, Jesus, if you're up there, won't you hear me? Cause I've been wondering if you're listening for quite a while a pretty place we live in and I know we've messed it up but please be kind don't 
let us go out like the dinosaurs will be blown to bits in the third world war there are a hundred different things i'd like to do i'd like to climb to the top of the eiffel tower look up from the ground at the media shower and maybe even raise a family Jesus, Jesus, there are those that say they love you, but they have treated me so unkind. And I know you said forgive them, for they know not what they do, but I'm pretty sure they do, and I think about you. If all the heathens burn in hell, do all their children burn as well? What about the Muslims and the gays and the unwed mothers? What about me and all my friends? Are we all sinners cause we sin? Does it even matter in the end if we're unhappy? looking for answers though I know that I won't find them here today but Jesus, Jesus could you call me if you have the time maybe we could meet for coffee and work it out maybe then I'll understand maybe then I'll understand maybe then I'll I like the honesty of the song. Maybe there was a, a line, a phrase in that song that you can relate to that maybe that's where you're at. Maybe those, those are some of the questions that you ask when you lie in bed at night. Jesus, I know you're great. I believe you're great, but what, what, how, where's the freedom come from? God, how does this all work? How is this all going to work out in the end? So I told you, I, I believe I know what your problem is. I know what your problem is. It's the same as my problem. We share the same problem, and that is control. We all want control, and we can't have it. We all want control, and we can't have it. Let me paint for you a scenario, and I want to ask if you can identify anything familiar with this scenario. Maybe just a moment. You won't identify with the whole thing, but, but I'll just paint a scenario, and maybe there's just one part of it that you can actually relate to. The scenario is that someone is getting ready to go to church on Sunday morning for Easter to celebrate Jesus with one-third of the population, one-third of the world this morning is gathering to celebrate Jesus. And so this person is doing that, and, and uh, there's a whole plan for that Sunday morning in order to be there for this service and be ready for that. They had to back that up and get up at a certain time because they had a bunch of things they wanted to do before they entered into the church service. 
But they woke up, and unfortunately, they were already 30 minutes late because the alarm didn't go off. And so there's this level of frustration right off the bat, right off the bat, just at the very start of the day, because how could I have missed setting the alarm again? It's really not that complicated of a piece of equipment, and yet there's one of 20 different things that could go wrong, and then the alarm doesn't work. And so why can't they just create a, a, an alarm clock that is just easier to work with, etc.? And so, but you have no control over that. You have no control over how the alarm box works, etc. But you wake up, you're 30 minutes late, and you decide, you know what, I'm going for it. I am going to make up that time and I'm going to stay with my plan and just gradually make up time. So you get up and you make a plan to go work out because that was your plan for this morning is to go to the gym. And so you get in your car and your first thought when you get in your car is the frustration about how messy the car is. So you get in there and you just see stuff piled around and whether it's you or someone else who uses the car or is in the car on a regular basis, you just sit there and you just go, why, 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 why can't we just keep at least this area clean? It's not a very large area, a cubic feet of, of space. Can we just keep this area clean? And you're frustrated because you have no control over how all this stuff gets cluttered in the car. But you go ahead into the gym and you work out for 45 minutes. You don't like a minute of it, but you do do it because you're, you want to control how time is affecting your body. And so you want to try to control that through doing the workout area. Good job. You do the workout. You go back home. And you're kind of excited because you've made up about 10 minutes of time because you've kind of cranked it so far all as well. Then you set out your clothes, and you set your clothes out on the bed, and a little three-year-old is walking around, yours or someone else's, whatever, just, just happens to be a three-year-old there, and it just, it just, there just seems to be liquids coming out of every orifice from this little guy, and, and so you say, hey, just, just do whatever you're doing, I'm going to go into the, to have a shower, and, and just don't touch my clothes that I've laid out on the bed, okay, if you could do that, because you know it's so easy to control a three-year-old and, you know, what they choose to do. You tell them not to do something, that's definitely what they're going to avoid doing, and so you go in to the shower and then you use chemicals on your hair and use chemicals on your body because once again you're trying to control the effects of aging process on your body. You get you come out and the first thing you notice when you come out is you look at the clothes that you set up on the bed and there's snot dripping from the clothes as well as your dog who's sitting right, could be sitting anywhere but just happens to be sitting right in the middle of the bed and this dog sheds way more than a dog is supposed to shed but you have no control over how the fur pops off of the dog at inopportune times and so you shoosh the dog over and you're especially upset because you've told this dog a thousand times not to get up on the bed. It's the one rule you have. Just don't get up on the bed. You can go anywhere else. But the dog continues to jump on the bed and you don't have control over that dog. And that's a little bit frustrating. But you put your, put your clothes on and you said, I'm going to keep moving. Wipe the snot off. Wipe the, the fur off. And you get in the car and you're, uh, you're heading uh, out to head to church. Now, you didn't have time for coffee, so you have to stop off at the uh, coffee place, and you're kind of, you just, you just need your coffee. You're just, you can feel it, you can feel it, and you need your coffee as you head into the church experience, because you want to stay awake, because, you know, the, the pastor's a little bit boring. And so, so you get in there, and then you're going to the uh, coffee place, and you're waiting in line, and it's just kind of frustrating, because how is this taking so long? How is it, all they have to do is pour coffee and hand it to you. How does that take so long? So you're just, well, you have no control over how the, the speed of the line. You finally get to the front, and it's a six year old girl who's the barista and she seems really nice but she has her mask dropped down below her mouth and so she's working hard and the mask isn't doing anything she's just spitting out 
deathly viruses all over the place to everyone's there. And you can't control, you want to reach out and just pull the mask up. But you can't do that because you don't have control over this young lady. What you do have control over is your tip. And so what you do is you say, I am not going to tip today. Nothing, nothing. Because I want her to understand that she needs to take care of herself, take care of other people, and love other people. And I want her to rethink her whole trajectory of her life. I want to help her out with all of this. I want her to get a better work ethic. I want to control uh, her system, her journey there. Now, right now, you're sitting in this room hearing my scenario, and you're not all that comfortable. It's like, well, this is awful. I don't want to hear any of this. And right now, you're thinking, stop, stop. But you have no control over me stopping with this story. You have no control over it. I can just keep on. You can leave. You have control over that. Guy in the sound booth can turn me off, but he's, we pay him. So that's like unlikely to happen. And so I am going to continue the story. You get in, you get back, you know, you're in your car, you get on the road, you want to pick up some little time because you know you're late, so you get in the left lane. When you're, when you're in a hurry on a road, you always get in the left lane. And for some reason that is beyond your control, the left lane is not moving. And, and so it's just frustrating beyond, beyond everything. And so you see the right lane is moving much quicker. There seems to be a lot of people going to church this, this morning at Easter. It's really exciting. But the right lane is moving, so you want to get into it. There's not much of a spot, so you pull into the spot. You're cutting off a white SUV, and, and, and then you look in the rearview mirror, and you notice two things. One thing you notice is that they're dressed way nicer than you are. So they probably go to some traditional church that is really has questionable theology, but you, you have no control over that. You have no control over what church they go to or what they believe or whatever. The other thing you notice as you cut them off is that they're giving nasty gestures to you. And they are very upset because you've cut them off and slowed them down from their journey to get where they want to go. And you want to be the kind of person who responds to that in a gracious way with the shoulder shrug. That's the gracious way. It's the shoulder shrug and the, and the winds and the, I'm sorry, thank you, I'm sorry. That's the way you want to respond, but that does not come out because there's anger that just burns up inside of you. And so you, you, you get all this, this, this anger and this furious thing stirring up in you. And you're on your way to church and you, wanna, you want the anger to just stop down, but it's just boiling up inside of you. You get into church, you pull up, you're 10 minutes after the service has already started. You know that you have 10 minutes of work still to get in and drop off your kids or do whatever you need to do or, or get another cup of coffee, whatever it is, in order to stay awake. And so you know you're going to be 20 minutes before you get into your seat to sit down and enjoy the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you relate to any of that? Is there, is there any moment in there, even one small moment? We all want power. We all want control. The problem is control. We want it, and we can't have it. In small ways, in large ways, in significant ways, in insignificant ways, we want to control. We want to, we want to control what happens this afternoon, what happens tomorrow, etc. And we can't. There's so much of life. The problem with life, the problem with you, the problem with me, is that we want control and we can't have it. When you look at the Easter story that we are here to celebrate and remember here today. The most tragic character in the story is Judas. Judas got to be one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, which think about how amazing that would be. Jesus identified 12 young men and said, I want you to follow me. Judas got to hang out with Jesus for three years. He heard Jesus speak all the things that we've read about in Scripture. We saw Jesus, he saw Jesus do the miracles. He got to be one of the 12, and yet at the end of those three years, he decided to trade it all in by betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 
which was the equivalent of perhaps a couple months' wages. I mean, it wasn't a tremendous amount of money. But it was an opportunity for him to take control of at least some kind of income, to take control of what might be happiness for him or security or comfort for him. He wanted to take control out of this, but it was a failed journey. He ended up having so much guilt that he took his own life. And then another character in the Easter story is Peter. Peter's also one of the 12, one of the guys who got to hang out with Jesus for the full three years. And, and Peter became one of the leaders in the church after Jesus ascended into heaven. And Peter, on, on Thursday night, so this is Sunday, on Thursday of what we call Passion Week, that's the night that Jesus was arrested by the Romans. And Jesus had gathered with his disciples, and he told them basically what was going to happen, and he had what we call the Last Supper with them. And he said, he said uh, you know, bad things are going to happen, and you guys are going to betray me. And Peter said, I will not betray you. He wanted to have control over his own support of Jesus. He wanted to have control over his own response to what was going to happen to Jesus as he understood it. He desperately, desperately wanted to be the kind of man who could stand by Jesus through the very worst. But, of course, Jesus gets arrested, and he gets mocked, and he gets spit on and slapped around. And someone catches Peter and says, hey, aren't you with that guy? He says, no, 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 I've never, never seen him before. He denies Jesus once and then twice and three times. And then the rooster crows. He wanted control over his response to the scenario, and he couldn't. There's another character in the story named Pontius Pilate. He was the governor of Judea at the time. He was the most powerful person in that part of the world. And we read in John chapter 19 that he actually, he actually says to Jesus, he, on the Friday part of the story, Pontius Pilate that looks at Jesus in the eyes. He's got a crown of thorns on his head and blood is dripping down his face. And Pontius Pilate looks at him and says, don't you realize, Jesus, I have control to decide whether or not you are free or you are crucified? Don't you understand this, Jesus? And Jesus does understand that he does not have the control that he thinks he has. And Jesus, you know, says, any, any power, any control that you have has been given to you by the Father. So you are not in as much control of this as you think you are. And then a couple years later, there's a guy named Paul. And Paul hated followers of Jesus. He thought that people who were following Jesus were taking people away from the one true God and that this whole Jesus thing was a, was a, was a farce. So he was persecuting and killing Christians. But Jesus, who had ascended into heaven, appears before Paul, and Paul realizes, oh my goodness, this is the real story. Jesus is God. This is amazing. And Paul ends up becoming one of the leaders of the church, and he writes a number of letters that have been accumulated, some of which have been gathered and become what we call the New Testament, the last section of the Bible. One of those letters that he wrote was to the city of Rome. We refer to it as the Book of Romans in the Bible. And in Romans chapter 7, he says this in verse 15. I do not understand what I do. Let me just pause right there. Can any of you relate already? Can any of you think about what this morning was like or this week was like and just think, I, I don't understand what I do. 
For me, this happens almost every time I open a tub of ice cream. I, I, it's just ice cream is just a big deal for me. And so I, I, when I'm wise, I scoop up ice cream, I put it in a separate bowl because then, then I put the tub away and then that bowl becomes my natural limitation. When I'm unwise, I just say, skip the bowl. I'm going to take the tub with me in front of the TV. And I'm just going to eat, you know, I'm just going to keep it modest, keep it moderate. And then it's just, it just becomes this odd one more, one more spoonful deal. I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but you're just, just one more. And then it starts to soften on the edges, which is really sweet. And then you've got to scrape all that off, because you've got to, and you've got to keep up with the softening of the ice cream. And then you're just kind of go, what am I doing? I know this is terrible for me. Sure, it's dairy, but it's really not helping me in terms of a health journey. It's not reducing my, you know, control over the effects of aging on my life. And so I just want just one more, one more, one more spoonful, and then I'll be fine. And while I'm eating the ice cream, I'm watching TV, and it's late at night, and I should be going to bed. But I keep watching the show, and and because Netflix tells me you're get another one, I don't have to push any buttons. It just says you're going to watch another one. You're going to watch another one. So I sit there thinking, yeah, I should stop. I should stop. There's, I don't even like the show. It's not even a good show. But I'm eating one more, just one more scoop of ice cream, just one more show. I'm going to watch. Can anybody? Is that just me? It's probably just me. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Many of you are familiar with Paul's words in Romans chapter 7. These these words are just so easy to connect with, so easy to relate to. I love the honesty of this guy. He's not up in his high tower saying, be perfect like me. He's saying, I struggle with this. I struggle with being in control of my own thoughts and my own actions. Have you ever driven a car on ice? So some of you, you go up to Flagstaff and go experience that. Or some of you are, you know, you're from colder cities. I grew up in Canada, spent a lot of time trying to drive on ice. And, and we know what happens when you try to drive on ice is, is you push the brake and you want the car to stop, but the car says, whee, and it just, it just goes in the direction and the speed, whatever it wants to go, that, that it says you can push the brake all you want. You can have anti-lock brakes all you want. It doesn't matter because the wheels are just sliding on the ice. Sometimes life feels like we're just driving on ice. And that's the control piece. It's just, it just, why is this not working? Why is life not working? We may even talk in church about you can choose to, you can either choose control or you can choose surrender. You can choose control and take control of your life or you can surrender your life to God. Sometimes that can be some language, but that implies that control is an option. And it's not. That implies that it's actually possible for us to take control of our lives. And we can't. Sometimes also, it's really good language. We talk about, about my circle in, 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 in relationships and in um, marriage, etc. We sometimes talk about, I got, I got to focus on my circle. This is my circle, the area that I have control over. And I don't have control over you and your circle. circle. I don't have control over my wife. 
I don't have control over my parents, over my kids, over my boss, over my uh, friends, over people who work for me, etc. I, I don't have control over them. They got their own circles, and it's, it's, it's not my place to go in and step into their circle, and it's not their place to come step in my circle. The implication there is that I do have control of what's going on in my circle, but the reality is I don't. I don't even have control over what happens in my circle because what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate, I do. The problem that you and I share is control. We want it, but we can't have it. Now, the good news is identifying, like I said, identifying a problem. You can't solve a problem until you identify it, until you first identify it. But there's also good news in embracing this problem. Before we even get to any solution, there's actually good news in just embracing the reality of this problem. Should you choose to believe it, agree with it, that this is a problem for us? Because it's very frustrating to pursue control. It's very frustrating to live life with the assumption that you actually can have control. That as long as you just work hard enough, you can get control over things. You can figure things out. It's frustrating to live life pretending that you have control because you look around at everyone else and they seem to have control. They have control over their three-year-old. They have control over their dog shedding, whatever the thing is. It seems like other people have more control than I do, and that gets frustrating. And the freedom part, just to get a taste of the freedom part, the freedom part is when we stop trying to get control and we just, we just release it. We let go of the control. It's so hard because we want it. But the freedom is letting it go and realizing that control is not right around the corner. We, getting control is not one day away, one therapy session away, one book away, one session away. One effort on our part away. Control is not around the corner. It, it is not around the next corner or the next corner or the next corner. It's elusive. Freedom is just looking at this reality, this problem that is consistent throughout Scripture, consistent so clearly in Romans chapter 7, consistent in my life. Freedom is just looking at it and going, huh, that's why life is so hard. That's why life is so dang hard, because I want control, and I can't have it. Freedom, the freedom of Jesus, comes from the fact that Jesus came to solve this problem. This is the problem. And Jesus came to solve this problem. The reason we celebrated Easter, the reason we sing songs and gather, and so glad that you're here. Jesus came to solve the problem of control. Now, how is that the case? How is that true? How is Jesus the solution to the problem? If it's true that our problem is control, we want it and we can't have it, control of our own tongue, of our own hands and feet and actions and, 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 and circumstances, we want control over all of this. If that really is the problem, how is Jesus the solution? Now, describing that and understanding how Jesus is the solution, that's what we're talking about next week. Because like I said, this is buy one, get four. Okay? This is, this is part one of a journey to explore what it means. Well, all we're doing today is talking about the problem. To, to unearth what is this problem that we are looking at, that we have to uh, deal with, that we have to 
address. And so we would love to have you walk out this journey with us over the next three weeks. Because here's the reality. It is beautifully demanding to be a follower of Jesus. It, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it or, you know, if, if this is new for you or you're exploring. It, it's beautiful and there is tremendous freedom and it's costly. So all I'm saying with that is if, 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 if right now you're, you know, you're thinking, hey, I just came for Easter. I just, that's what I do. I come, for, I come for Christmas and I come for Easter. I'm a Christer. I just come for those two times a year. So, Alan, I don't like this idea of me coming. I came. I, I'm thankful that you came. Very thankful that you came. And so, so maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not happy with this. You give me a part one. I don't, I don't want to come back. And I, hold, I totally get that. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, you're frustrated because you don't have any control over what I'm saying or what kind of message I'm giving here on Easter. And I get that. I get that. But what I'm just saying is that following Jesus is beautifully demanding. And what that means is that if, if you can't just say, you know what, for the next four weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this out. I'm going to engage maybe in a way that I haven't had any other Easter. I'm going to engage not just on one week, but walk this out for a few weeks and see what the solution really looks like. Because if you can't do that, it's very, 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 very unlikely you're ready to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to church in order to follow Jesus. Absolutely not. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's we follow Jesus. And church is just a way that we continue to explore that. But I'm just saying it, it costs us something because it's beautifully demanding. Your problem is the same as my problem. And it's control. We want it and we can't have it. But Jesus came to solve that problem. We're going to sing one more song before we're dismissed here today. And before we head into that, I'd love to pray with you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I, I do thank you um, this morning for the opportunity to gather here in this place. I pray for uh, anybody here in this room who can hear my voice here today, that wherever we are on the spectrum, that we would embrace in a deeper way the freedom that you offer to this problem of control. The control that we want to have over other people, over the, the people around us, the circumstances, the circumstances at work, circumstances with our family, things that happened to us when we were little. We have no control over those things, yet they still have repercussions and they're not our fault and it's frustrating. And we want to have more control over what we say and what we do and yet it just doesn't happen. We want to have control over, over an illness in ourselves, in our own bodies, or somebody else. We want to have control over that, and we can't. It's just, it's just outside of our control, and that is frustrating. God, whatever way we are wrestling with control, God, would you show us today and in the next three weeks what it looks like that you have come to bring a solution to that problem? Would you show us what the freedom looks like, what it means to walk out our days with freedom? In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.